Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 5, Episode 4 of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and I am alone this week on Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. Um, Bobby's having an issue with one of his eyes. Uh, he just couldn't see himself recording yesterday, but seriously, he's okay. He just needed some time to rest and get, you know, get it under control. Uh, he will be back next week. Show must go on. So last week, the great sport of professional wrestling lost a legend, but it also lost a great supporter and a fan. Uh, Bullet Bob Armstrong passed away as well as our own Tex Johnson. We'll, we'll get into Bob a little bit more here shortly. But to start off with, um, I wanted to talk about Tex. Tex got a hold of me early in the show's existence. Talked a couple times, and he designed a logo for us. And then he started providing me with episode art, you know, for Twitter and for uploading with the episodes, things like that. A little bit after that, he asked about starting a YouTube page. And, uh, man, he did some great things on there. He would take a short piece out of the show, like one of the numbers from the countdown. And then he would add, you know, well, he'd edit it down to make it a little easier to follow or a little friendlier for video. But then he'd add to it with additional, you know, notes, um, subtitles, videos, extra sound clips that recontextualize or help to contextualize exactly what we were talking about. Uh, it really, really expanded on each one of those things. It was amazing, the stuff he was doing. So, long-time listeners to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze will know I had a really shit year, uh, 2018 rolling into 2019. Um, my dad died. I lost my job. had a heart attack, and my wife left me. So, for the following year, I did my best to, um, I don't know, drink myself to death, I guess. I mean, I was drinking way too much. Um, I guess I was trying to beat my dad to liver failure by 25 years. Um, because of that, very often when our recording days would hit, I just was not in the shape to record. Just too fucked up, too hungover, blah, blah, blah. And during this period of time, uh, Tex offered to host, produce, and edit the show. Uh, he didn't know if he'd have time to do it, and we really never got around to discussing it more than once or twice, but he, he really just like put it all out there. He's like, hey. You know, here, here's what I'll do. Here's what I can do, or here's what I can try to do. And I appreciate that. A hell of a loss. You know, everybody that met him, loved this guy. If you look on Facebook, he had 10 billion friends. Um, you know, you talk to people that just met him once or twice at a wrestling show. He, you know, everybody loved him. Uh, he, you know, early, early on, he was getting bumpers for us by guys like Mick Foley and George South. And it just, the, the list goes on and on. It's, it's going to be a loss. It's going to be felt. It's going to be noticed. Uh, so this episode we're dedicating to Tex, and we're going to talk a little bit about Bob Armstrong and a couple other things. But what I'm doing is we're going to do this kind of like a clip show. I went on YouTube, uh, found a couple things that I'm going to pull off and put in here and just, you know, that some of them will have some additional sound to them, but you can kind of hear what Tex was doing with the YouTube page as much as, as much as you can tell what was going on, on YouTube from sound. Um, I've got two pieces about Bullet Bob Armstrong that we did, one from our Greatest Regional Faces and one from our Masked Wrestlers episode. I've got a Paul Orndorff bit from the Legitimate Tough Guys episode because it is our most watched YouTube uh, piece by more than a quarter of a million views. And then the other one I grabbed is Bobby versus Chris Benoit. Um, you know, I had promised at one point or I had sworn that I would never watch a Benoit match again. I made the exception for this match, and uh, it really it really is that good. So I figured I'd throw this info in there. You can hear a little bit about, you know, Bobby working at WCW. 
uh, Mongo McMichael and Chris Benoit. It's pretty good. But before we play those clips, let's do a little mail call here. You know, I kind of went around and collected a couple messages real quick. Just people, you know, from like the group uh, on Facebook saying goodbye to Tex. So the first one's from Rodney. Uh, and says, rest in peace, Tex Johnson. Godspeed. Uh, Rodney's been with us since real early on. Yeah, so thank you, Rodney, for sending that in. Uh, next is Nate, who we're going to hear another piece from right after this. But Nate from the Wide Man Can't Jump uh, podcast. And he says, Tex Johnson, what a class act. Miss you, brother. Hug Sheila tight, my friend. Um, Tex's wife passed away late last year or early this year. So, I mean, the poor guy, you know, at least they're together now. Uh, and then Joe from Facebook says, I became aware of Tex Johnson through the Bell to Bell podcast back in October. I watched every one of those videos. I only know him through, the, through his work and Facebook. I enjoyed his posts and send prayers to his family. And Tex was a prolific Facebook writer. Tex was actually a prolific writer in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, yeah, I could grab more. But those are the first ones I grabbed and I put into the script for the show we were going to record. Uh, but I wanted to get them in this episode since we're doing, you know, a, basically a tribute to Tex and Bullet Bob Armstrong here. Now, I'm going to play a voicemail from Nate. We're obviously not going to get around to answering it, but I wanted to go ahead and get it in here since he took the time to send it in. And then when Bobby is back in a week, we'll try to tackle it then unless unless something unexpected happens, unless, you know, a huge guest lands in our lap or something. Yeah, I'd like to get a large number four. Yeah, with fries, cheese. Yeah, and a drink. Yeah, large. You know, large diet. Oh, hey. Oh, okay. We're not at the drive-thru, but we are at the Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. What's up, guys? Linda, get back in there. We don't need none of that right now. Wanted to throw out a show suggestion for you guys. I know how much you guys love when we do that, right? What I'm thinking, though, is when you two guys get together, you always come up with these great top 10 lists, and you always come up with these great episodes, and I enjoy them. They help me on my weekly drives to and from work, school, wherever I'm going. Why not you guys tell the stories of what made you pro wrestling fans? What are your favorite matches? What are your favorite moments? What are those moments that stick out in your mind? What made you fall in love with the sport of pro wrestling? Love you guys. Thanks for all the support. Keep at it. Bobby. Yes, number eight. Okay, so when I know personally, Bullet Bob Armstrong. He comes in at number eight. Uh, he was a, uh, first of all, I have a lot of love and respect for the entire Armstrong family. Uh, traveled a lot with them, worked a lot with them. Uh, talked to Steve, excuse me, I talked to Scott every once in a while still. I talked to Brian every once in a while still. Um, haven't spoken to Bullet for a while, but I like Bullet Bob Armstrong. He comes in, of course, he worked a lot with the, uh, uh, throughout the, uh, southern U.S., down in Alabama, Georgia. You know, he worked in Florida. Um, he was in the Hall of Fame in 2011, but some of the things that I know personally, that's just something I just glanced up right off. A couple of things I want to share with you is I know he was a former United States Marine, so I thank Bullet Bob for serving our country. Also, Brian uh, James, his uh, youngest son, he also served as a Marine, and I appreciate that. But um, he was a fireman, and he started off as a fireman there around, I think, uh, Cobb County, uh, Marietta, Georgia. Uh and he worked several years, maybe up to about eight years before he, he, he was wrestling a lot and getting really, really popular. And I think he probably 
was a fireman for several years before he finally made that decision. You know what? I'm going to make it in wrestling. Cause he started telling me how much, how over he started getting when he was going out, you know, to these, uh, to the areas down there in Georgia and Alabama and working. Uh, the other thing, two things that stood out that he told me about, he, if you're familiar with the Nautilus equipment, if you work out, if you're familiar with Nautilus, Arthur, uh, Jones, who invented the, uh, uh, Nautilus equipment, uh, I think it was down in Florida. Bob Armstrong told me one time he went down there to to purchase a, a piece of equipment. Of course, back in the day, those those were expensive pieces of equipment, but it, apparently he was buying a piece for his home gym. And Arthur Jones used to measure people's arms, and the way he would do it, he would take a tape measure, and, or excuse me, not a tape measure, a piece of paper, and cut it out and wrap it around your arm and then mark it. And he said he had legitimately had... 20-inch arms at one time, and it was verified by Arthur Jones because he was so impressed with people's arms. So Bob Armstrong at one time, Armstrong did have that. And a lot of people don't know that um, he went under the mask as a bullet, and that was due to a weightlifting injury. He was uh, lifting about a 180-pound dumbbell, I think it was, uh, and it broke, and it uh, required a lot of surgery on his face. A lot of people think he went under the hood, I guess, to uh, to to become the bullet, uh, alter ego or whatever, but that wasn't the case. He was doing it to hire, uh, to disguise rather some of the disfiguration from the accident of the weightlifting. And of course, most recently for me, and I know it's been a while, he's been on TNA. And of course, like I said, he'd been in WWE hall of fame in 2011, but he was a smoky mountain wrestling commissioner mm -hmm. and he was just over as a baby face everywhere he went, man. I, I really, that's, that's all just, you know, from notes and from the heart on bullet Bob, he deserves to be in the top 10, uh, regional baby faces of all time. So he comes in at number eight, and I'll let you add whatever you'd like, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. I, I, away I, with that. But I, some of the people I know personally, you know, and you've talked about this, you let me go because I might have a good behind-the-scenes story. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, just a good dude. Good I got, dude. I've just got a few notes about Bullet Bob. Obviously, I had that he wrestled under the name Bullet, you know, under a hood after, her, you know, uh, having his yeah. face injured. Um, he kept the name Bullet after that point. He also feuded with the Stud Stable. So there's to our Fuller Welch friends right there. Yes. And, yep. uh, of course, his four legendary sons. Uh, the Armstrong name is synonymous with pro wrestling in a lot of areas. Yep. Um, you know, even though Road Dog is probably the most famous, and he didn't wrestle under that name, but right. everybody knows. <laughs> Finally settle something once and for all and see who is the baddest of the bunch. Let's go to number six, and uh, you got it here as the bullet, but it's obviously Bob Armstrong, so. Oh, it is? They're going for the mask. They're going for the mask. They're going for the mask. Wait a minute. They... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's go to black. Let's go to black. Let's, let's cut away. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I never should have called for that. Uh, I got so carried away. We did it, good son. Everybody starts. It's all finished. Everybody knows it's all over. Well, we got it. We got it. I'm, I'm terribly sorry, gentlemen, but uh, at, at the moment that happened, we, we seem to have had a technical problem. What? And I don't what? Know. what? What are That's you right. talking about? Everybody's been. You got it on. No, I, I'm sorry. We we had a technical problem. We had to go to black. What are you uh, talking about? You had to go Bullet. You heard it. The people heard it. Technical difficulty. Nobody sees nothing. Hallelujah. 
I told you before, somebody up there likes me. Yeah, yeah the bullet, man. Bullet Bob Armstrong. Yeah, a lot of people think that he, he started that gimmick uh, just to start the gimmick, but actually came after a weightlifting incident. Thing called funny enough, nose breakers. Man, you do triceps. The bench flipped. When the bench flipped, that 180 caught him right here and ripped his nose off. Ripped his nose off. We took him, they went to the hospital, we go to the hospital, check on him, and they're frantically searching for his nose. Yeah, we went back and found him at the gym. He was over in the corner in some dust, a big hunk of meat yeah, in the gym. It wasn't worth saving, though. No, it was, it was nasty. The uh, dumbbell crushed Saba's face, and he had to have a lot of reconstructive surgery. I might look a little different to some of you people because on the 13th of January of this year, Every bone in my face was broken. 250 pounds of steel crushed it. My jaws were wired together. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. I had to breathe through a tube through my throat. And when you get that close to death, you do a lot of thinking. When you're staring at the ceiling, can't speak a word to anybody, you think about the good things and the bad things that have happened during your life. It took close to a month for plastic surgeons to put all the bones back in place. And while they were working on me, one thing stood out in my mind that I'm very unhappy with. Two years ago, I did something that I'm really very sad about. I believe in my heart I cost the Tennessee stud the world title. I also busted his leg. And even after recovering from the, the uh, surgery, uh, thankfully, because he, he's a great, great performer and a really good, good man, Bob Armstrong, uh, he, he, he would donate from time to time, uh, bringing it out when he needed to. And he started a lot of feuds, mostly in the South. You know, he started with the stud stable and Continental. Uh, he used it on Georgia Championship. He used it, you know, uh, throughout uh, uh Georgia, Carolinas, mostly down south, like I said. But Bullet Man, uh, when I got to work with him, he was the commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And it, I think they built it up over 18 months between him and Cornette. The build-up was there. The build-up was there. And, you know, finally they had that. So that was in the, you know, early 90s there. And, of course, at, at some point after Bullet, the commissioner of Bullet Armstrong against the loudmouth manager, Jimmy Cornette, once that built so high and they actually got to, you know, the bullying point of it, it's time for a good friend of, Bullet, uh, of Bob's named Bullet has to show up. You know, Bob was just a, a really, really good worker, uh, or the Bullet was, I should say, both of them were. And uh, I always liked him under that hood, man. He, he would have that hood on. And, uh, you know, he was an arm strong. He had the big arms, but he didn't have big legs. And I heard him in an interview one time say, you never seen a thoroughbred with fat legs, you know. So, but he had his singlet on and he'd stand back behind that curtain and they'd come out the bad to the bone at the time. And he'd be standing there and he'd get them legs going. And he was a little bit older when I met him, of course, but he'd have that mask. Well, you're sitting, he had a great body, great body. Went to the gym with him several times down in Georgia when I was down that way. Used to work out sometimes. He done his own thing. I'd be with Steve or Scott. We'd do our own thing, you know. Uh, uh, Brad was on a whole nother level as far as working out goes, but, you know, Scott and Steve, we did our own things. But Bullet, hey, he was intense he did his own thing but uh yeah that curtain back to that jody spot if you will uh the he'd be standing right there and that music would hit man and he'd have that mask and that body 
and he'd start moving that foot. It is almost like, you know, using the presence of Elvis or something, the way he'd get that leg going, you know. And man, when the time was right, he'd bust through that curtain, and, and I don't know if he did, went anywhere he didn't get a pop because everyone knew the bullet was over when he'd come out, you know. So that's my memories of the bullet, and that's why I have him at number six. Yeah, and I, I want to just point out, you know, when uh, Cody Rhodes comes to the ring, he's got that video package that says, like, wrestling has more than one royal family. Uh, the Armstrongs are a sadly overlooked family in the lineage of wrestling royal families. That guy created a dynasty of wrestling professionals. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It just I, I, I always want to take the time to take a quick aside and say, you know, the rest of us need to remember the Armstrongs. The North remembers. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I've been the, watching uh, a lot of Game of Thrones. That's okay. <laughs> That's cool, man. No, I tell you, the uh, uh, Armstrong has always been good to me, and I, I, I always been good to them too. You know, that's just the way it works. But uh, the uh, I could tell you so many Armstrong stories. It's not even funny. But one, <laughs> uh, one of them that was funny was uh, Brad. You know, had all the talent in the world, and uh, he was still working at WCW when Road Dog was still performing back in, in WWF at the time. And I, they was on, I was on vacation. I, I was working for WCW. I was on vacation and I was listening to Howard Stern and, uh, Road Dog and Billy Gunn were on the show and <laughs> someone called in and said something about, uh, Brian, uh, Brad being a jobber and Brian having all the talent in the world. Well, Brian didn't take too kindly to that. And he said, let me tell you something. And he went on a big rant, but basically what it amounted to, he said, my brother Brad has more talent. <laughs> that all of us put together one finger and he ain't goddamn has more talent than you and he said i tell you and he just buried this collar but it's true man brad has so much talent you know bullet has so much talent they all had as much talent sometimes though you know and, and brian just you know was just defending his whole family basically but uh and brian had that great run of course uh scotty's a, a booker and an agent there now and they both work there as agents and that's great you know uh but yeah bullet man that Armstrong family, uh, what a great group of guys right there, man. Make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and turn on the notification bell so you never miss an update. Was there anybody that was equal to me as far as talent, uh, being aggressive, uh, being vicious or any of these things. It would have to be a person that possibly played uh, college football uh, that, uh, or even pro football that had that intensity, that had that will to win. Will to win. Maybe somebody that might have been uh, an Army Ranger or in the, uh, the, uh, the Navy SEALs. It would have to be somebody of that caliber to even tickle my feathers, you know. Uh, everybody else was, uh, it was just it was just another walk in the park. But I liked a good, tough match, and I only had a couple of them in my 25 uh, years of wrestling, and both of them were against myself. This guy here was actually one of the first heels I ever cheered for because he was the first really nasty double cross I saw when he, when he clotheslined Hulk Hogan at the end of a tag match, and they gave him a pile driver. <laughs> and that's... Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Uh, they ended up carrying him out in a stretcher after I pile drove him. And I would say uh, uh, from that time on, and that was, you know, I liked that because I like hurting people to start with. And uh, doing that for him and just to teach him a lesson, 
you know, a lesson that his mom and daddy should have done a long time ago, and I had to do it. Yeah, he's built more like a fucking truck than he is a human being. <laughs> and even when he was getting on in his career and had an, a semi-atrophied arm and was wearing flip-flops, he still took a fight to Leon White and got the better piece of the <laughs> got the better piece of the stick in that deal, which is saying something. I see Paul, and I'm coming down the hallway, and this was at uh, center stage. In the back of center stage, the stairs in the back of the hallway, you could see them go like this. And they had these big wooden boxes that they had production stuff in. Paul says, get out there, you got to get out there now. And Fade went like that, and Paul turned, and he bear pawed him. Boom, in the face, and grabbed Paul as Paul was going down in front, face locked and shoved him in the box. Well, I know Paul owned up forever, before he was wrestling. And as they pulled him aside, everybody wanted to hold Paul back. I said, let them straighten this thing out. Paul went over with his bad arm and hit him right on the chin. And it was nothing, it was that, that, that weak right hand. And he hit me a second time, he hit me a third time. I love you, I hope you live another 50 years, I'm praying for you. But when he says that the bad arm hit him and didn't hurt him, when Leon White came out of that room, his face looked like it exploded. I drug him down with me. And Paul, some, some of the, the wrestlers helped Paul up. And he kicked me once or twice before I got up. Vader fell on his knees and Paul field gold him right on the chin and his head actually touched his heels, okay? Now everybody's mulling around. They push Paul into one of the dress rooms. Vader, I gotta give him credit. He came in and said, let's go. I remember that and I got up and grabbed him and we went into the coach's room, fighting like a wrestling type fight. But that was it. And Ming stepped in and said, no, nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> Both of them. Uh, a man came up behind me and said, Leon, that's enough, you're going to hurt him. And at that point, I didn't want to mess with me because that would have been a mistake, I think. I'm not saying that Leon's not a tough guy. I'm not saying that he doesn't remember it the exact way it happened because memory is a funny thing, you know? You like to remember different things different ways. He had boots on. And like, you know, I don't know why that matters, but I guess if you're barefoot and slippers on, it's harder to fight somebody, right? Yeah. He was so, wearing flip-flops. He was. Okay. He was wearing flip-flops. And shitty fucking 99 cent with the, 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 where your toe gimmick has just that ball that comes through. I mean, not flip-flops. I'm talking shitty 99 cent shower shoes. And he dropped them. Like twice. But it was, I'm late, so what's he doing with slippers on? He's an agent. He's got his boots on. Paul Phil Golden, but if he had cowboy boots on... It would have been over. It, would have been over. it was over anyway. Yeah. I mean, his face was all swelled up. I mean, I, you know, and then the next day how Paul had beat me up. And, and what they're seeing is those three hits to the face. And I mean, it was like, it was like my, my 12-year-old son hitting me in the face. There was, uh, Orndorff must have got him right in the right place. His whole face, not only his nose and his cheeks, his whole face looked like it exploded. You ever see like uh, the gray and um, black um, bins that they would put like ice in, put water in so that you could, he threw all the water out of one of those bins. It was just ice and melted ice, held his breath, 
probably for about 15 minutes and would go under, you know, to try to get the swelling to go down. So Leon, I love you, but when you said he didn't hurt you, your face looked like it exploded. I'm sorry, that's just the truth. I was asked to tell you the true story and that is the true story as I've seen it. You don't stop right there. You know what, uh, Paul has made a living talking about this night. And he, one of the, one of the things he says, and, and you know what, I understand Paul's sick. I, I guess he's got throat cancer, is that right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say this, but, you know, I was there that night. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else there is to say other than he got his ass whipped. And uh, if that's what you want to hear, fine. If he thinks he won, that's fine. I don't really care. I don't care. It don't matter. I like the fact that the next day he went on national TV and he said to talk about toughness because he he pretty much just broke character and just said toughness is that he just he gave an interview and he just said but that's when you take an 800 pound gorilla and you just punch him in the face and you knock him on his ass and he just he was just that Mr. Wonderful doing a shoot type interview because that had just happened I guess uh, you know the day before or what have you but man I tell you Paul Orndorff, uh, I had heard that name when I first moved down to Florida so many times because he was known as the Brandon Bull. He was such a uh, hell of a football player and wrestler in high school, and he, he played for uh, the University of Tampa, the Bulls, I think they were, and um, he he was just a bull of a man. He was he was a man built like a, a boy, or a young boy, an 18-year-old built like a fucking man back in the day, and I'd always heard legitimate, you know, stories about Paul, don't fuck with Paul, you know, and um, yeah. If you want to check some of these guys, uh, uh, there's a couple of YouTube videos out there. I guess uh, Tony Atlas does an interview. I can't remember. As Tommy Rich, I don't know what he admits to and doesn't. Later 80s and 90s kind of a blur to me. When they come up this way, I guess uh, Tony ran his mouth a couple times and Paul just said, you know, hey, pull the car over. Oh, man, it was Orndorff, Atlas, because I just traveled Tony Atlas. But anyway, I guess uh, there were three guys in the car. There was a disagreement and Orndorff and Atlas pulled over on the side of the road and was going to fight it out. And they got into it and Paul bit part of Tony Atlas's ear off. And Tony missed a couple of shots for it. And I think Watts yeah. fined him for missing the shots because Paul had bitten his ear off. And that's just the way it was back in the day. Legitimate badass, man. That's just not someone you... And I say this, when you talked about doing the pile driver too, when Hogan and Ben, I mentioned it in my top 10, we did our top 10 moves and holds in pro wrestling. We had the pile driver at the top of the list. Paul Orndorff had one address. And I know we're talking, you know, shoot fighting and street fighting, this and that. And you probably, you know, not going to get a guy in a position in the street for a pile driver. But man, he had one of the best pile drivers in all professional wrestling, man. It was just, he had that jumping pile driver. That yeah, his... His look like it would break your neck. You know, nowadays, if you if you talk to a wrestler, if they do a, an interview with him, the first thing that come up is, what's your gimmick? Or you're this gimmick. Well, you know, that's what was so unique and different about me. First of all, I didn't have a gimmick. The gimmick I had was me. That is truly me, the way I acted. The intensity, to being ferocious, to be aggressive. When a guy's down, I'd kick him. I'd kick him harder. A year had passed, and I remember walking in with one of the Armstrong brothers, and Norman Smiley was behind me. Norman said, Bobby, I remember this arena. This is the same place you and Benoit had that killer match at. 
last year. He said, y'all tore the house down. And I said, you remember that? He said, I always remember all the good matches, the best matches off each show. And I took it as such a compliment from Norman to tell me that. What had happened, I had wrestled, went to, we did um, the uh, World War III, the pay-per-view. Then we went to do the TV. You know, of course, you had Nitro on Monday, and then we had TV on Tuesday. And I, did, I was completely unaware of this at the time. Um, I was in a locker room just getting ready, just like anyone else. And Chris Benoit came, and he said, Bobby, come here. And he said, you're working with me tonight. He just locked up with me, and we started going at it uh, almost like a shoot uh, professionally, right there, just standing like right where I was dressing. We didn't move two feet. And he said, this is the way we're going to work, blah, blah, blah. And, and I knew something different was about him. Um, I didn't know what it was at the time. And he said, you think about some things you can do, and I'll think about some things I want to do, and uh, I'll get back to you. He said, but we're going to go out there, and we're going to have a hell of a match tonight. And he walked away. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what that was about. And I remember Dean Malenko, and I think it was Jericho. I could be wrong on that. I know Dean was there because he said, hey, I thought you guys were going to shoot right here in the locker room. What was that about? And I just kind of blew it off. I was like, I don't know. And I didn't know. And then about 15 minutes later, he came back, and he said, um, you know, here's what we're going to do. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And, and we didn't have everything planned out to a T, nothing like that. He hated that kind of stuff. We caught most of it on the fly. But he just said, whatever you do, he said, I want you to work as hard as you can. I want you to work stiff. He said, I'm going to throw these knees. And he said, when I bend you over about a hair, this is about the only thing honestly told me. So when I bend you over about a hair, put your hands over your face because I'm throwing knees. And, and that was about it, honestly. And, of course, I knew to finish. And, and Big Dusty uh, if you haven't heard his episode, that's uh, episode, I think, number four. Go back and listen to it on our podcast. But Big Dusty puts the match over huge on, on, on the mothership, uh, WTBS, there back in the day. But Bobby Blaze is a young guy that wants to get to that pay window. He has a tremendous amount of ability. And watching him right now, you know what I mean? But I didn't know anything that had taken place. And what had actually taken place was... Mongo McMichael was part of Horseman then, if, if you recall, during that time period. And my name was on the board, apparently, that I hadn't seen yet to wrestle Mongo. And Mongo thought that I couldn't keep up with him and that I was beneath him and that I shouldn't, that he should have to wrestle a guy like me. Now, I knew what my job was there. I knew I was about mid-card at best. I knew when I was going to get wins, and I knew when I was going to get losses pretty much ahead of time, weeks, sometimes days, but usually I knew. And I was fine with that because I was doing what I loved doing. There's 24 matches on the card. They shoot 12, they take a break, and they shoot another 12. And that's your next 20, 24 matches. That's, that's your next two TV, two weeks of TV on TBS. We were number 23 on a card. Scott Hall was the main event. I don't remember who he wrestled, but I know this. And I tore the fucking house down. We had one of my top five matches of all time, and that was one of the things we did this list, my top ten matches. I know uh, of what I like as a fan and, and as a wrestler, but uh, one of my favorite matches and best matches was against Chris, and this was one of them. Uh, thus, a year later, Norman still remembering it being the best one. What had happened was, and I know you have a question about Mongo, 
So I'll let you get that out there, and then I'll go from there what I know. Because at this well, point, I knew nothing, okay? Well, I just, you know, um, how many times did uh, uh, Mongo McMichaels use a Northern Light suplex? <laughs> did he? Did he use it once? I don't know. <laughs> I, I doubt it. What, what did I'm he trying, know what it was? What I'm, what I'm trying to say is Mongo, yeah. and yeah. I'm not talking for you, I don't know that Mongo could wrestle his way out of a wet bag, but you know that's that's just between you and me. I think it takes some nerve for that musclehead chihuahua carrying lunatic to say you don't have the talent. But whatever, you know. I mean, whatever. I just I was not a fan. I was not a but fan. Here's the thing: <laughs> Mongo played 15 years in NFL, okay, and I I saw him back someone down pretty badass guy in a locker room one time with just a few words. Now, he had the advantage, and the other guy didn't even get up. So you don't play 15 years in the NFL and, and not be a badass. Oh, so I, I'm not, I'm not, about, I'm yeah. not saying no, he's no, not I a know. badass. I'm, just, I, I, I'm defending myself in this situation, okay? Yeah. I'm not saying I didn't respect the fact that I knew he was a badass, okay? Yeah. So, and I'm probably glad and probably better off and probably survived the stiff mat with with uh, Chris versus going out there with Mongo and trying trying to pull off something, even though he thinks he can't keep up with me. Because here's what happened. Uh, apparently, it was you know Chris Dean, Mongo, Arn Flair, whoever you know there probably Bischoff or maybe, maybe not Bischoff, you know, in the thing and in, in the, the war room, if you will, Terry Taylor or whoever, uh, before the board went out and that comment was made. Well, Chris took personal offense to that. And I didn't know that that had happened at the time, nor did I know after he come and talked to me and what happened. And I was traveling with the Armstrong brothers at the time. We were staying up in Detroit. Cause like I said, we'd done the world war three. We had a, uh, uh, Saginaw, Michigan next day. And, I, and then I said, we was in Toledo for the TVs. Scott Armstrong had went up to Chris Benoit and said something, which again, I didn't know this at the time. He said, Hey man, this guy you're working on, you know, he can actually, he can work pretty well. I mean, yes, that means oh, that, that's the fall. That's the tower falling. And Chris said, Hey, I was in Australia with him. I know he can work. That's why I'm working him. Don't worry about it. And walked away. And I guess he was a little bit stewed at Scott, you know, not, not stewed, but you know, just a little bit hot that, you know, because Chris knew who I was. Yeah. We go out there, we have the match, we tear it down, uh, work stiff. It, it was good. I didn't know any of that until after the fact that went off through Chris's body and mind that Mongo said that in front of those guys. And every one of them other guys had respected me, you know. And Chris had known that. And he said, I, he said, put my name with them. I'll wrestle them. And with all due respect, we did. We we worked it, and I had even talked to Mongo several times about football, little things. I had Dick Buckus's book at one time. Long before America had Hulk Hogan, the NFL had Dick Buckus. I just picked it up at the airport, and it had a picture of Dick Buckus's knees really, really messed up. And I was joking with Mongo. I said, are your knees just fucked up or worse? And he said, they might not look that bad, but they're probably just as bad. I mean, just little things like that, you know. So, uh, and not on that particular day. But I will say this. After that match, there was just a few of the boys. Like I said, match number 23 out of 24 on the show. I was unlacing my boots, and I kid you not. Mongo McMichael, and this is why I'm not going to bury the guy, because I buried him that day. 
he walked up. I was unlacing my boots. He come around a corner, and I was sitting there, and he goes, hey, Bobby. And he reached his hand out. Now, I didn't know that he was the one scheduled to wrestle me uh, still, okay? He said, hey, Bobby. And he put his hand out and shook it. He goes, man, hey, kid, I didn't know you could wrestle like that, man. I didn't know you could go like that. He said, that was one hell of a match. I, I just want to personally compliment you. You just had a hell of a match. He didn't come back here and say, hey, by the way, I was scheduled to wrestle you and this and that. He just came back and he took the time to say what he said. And that was, that was pretty much word for word what he said. You know, I didn't know you could go like that. Man, that was a hell of a match. And maybe one day, you know, you and I can have a chance to have a match like that. And that's what he said, you know. Yeah, what, I, what I'd like to put out there at this time or any time yeah. going forward, if, if one of our listeners has a favorite Steve Mongo McMichael match, please tell me what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put it out there. Hit the yeah. hashtag BBBB. So this week was a little bit emptier show than usual. Uh, but I promise we'll be much fuller in the next few weeks, you know, next week or two, actually. Um, you can bet we have some great things planned, a surprise or two coming up. And we don't welch on our bets here. So for myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer. For Bobby Blaze and Tex Johnson, bye-bye, everybody. Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze and the Professor Jeremy Vilmure. Co-starring Tex in the boiler room, baby. He is the man Went toe-to-toe with Dan Severin The professor's here He's never wrong One spent six months Sleeping on a futon Bobby Blaze He's been around Just ask the swingers In his hometown He's always happy, but he don't know why. Was once billed as Kendo the Samurai. Pin me. Pay me. Oh yeah, we got Bobby and Jeremy. And somewhere down in the boiler room we got Tex. They're getting things done, bringing you some quality podcasting. Download it now. Do yourself a favor. Do it now. You can find them at anchor.fm slash bell-to-bell-blaze. Support them. Leave them a message. Give them a few bucks. Do it now. Bell-to-bell with Bobby Blaze. Top tens that will amaze. Just two buddies shooting the shit. But when you're done, you'll know that they're legit. Oh, Bobby. Jeremy and Tex. What a trio. What a combination. You do not want to miss this podcast. Download it. Do it now. I'm telling you. 
don't if you don't believe me ask some other people they'll tell you check them out on twitter check them out on facebook that's anchor.fm slash bell to bell blaze they'll blow your mind trust me purple haze you're gonna need some because it's gonna get crazy you're gonna love it bobby swears a lot jeremy shakes his head tex laughs although there's days we don't know where tex is because he gets lost in the boiler room but anyhow enjoy it go there be there have some fun Take an hour out of your day, you're gonna love it, trust me. I wouldn't scare you wrong. Bell to bell with Bobby Blade.